Hello everyone and welcome to episode 118 of Dominario's Judgment, a mostly weekly, mostly constructed magic podcast. I'm Dom Harvey and this week I am not here with Ari Dax, he is off uh, on his own fairy tale adventure, uh, but in his stead I have a more than adequate replacement, I think you'll agree. I have the one and only player of the year for 2023, Simon Nielsen, who has absolutely dominated the highest levels of competitive magic this year, uh, but even back when he was a European GP grinder, uh, hard in the trenches back in 2015-2016, uh, I think the consensus was that he was destined for for greatness uh, in the game, so this is no surprise and a long time coming. Uh, if you're a more recent Simon fan, this is your chance to see his story of just how he climbed the ladder and got where he is today. As you're about to hear, either once again or for the first time, Simon is always a joy to talk to. There's a lot to learn from him, both in Magic and outside it as well, and I'm glad you'll get to hear all of that right now. So I'm joined now by uh, one of the nicest people in Magic, uh, your 2023 Player of the Year, and also a uh, Danish Flesh and Blood National Champion, just for good measure. Uh, it's the one and only uh, Simon Nielsen. Welcome to the show, Simon. Thank you. So many accolades. Yeah, I, I feel like at this point, if we were to list all of your accolades, like that would just be the episode by itself. So keeping that uh, to a brief summary for now, but I guess let's start at the the beginning of what is a long and storied career at this point. So I think the, the first moment that you really got on the radar of a lot of people was the, the infamous uh, Dane Blast moment, uh, Denmark winning the, uh, the World Magic Cup. Take us through your introduction to Magic through that point and uh, that, that, that breakout performance. Yeah, I think, honestly, we have to start the story slightly before that um, with, like, Martin Müller. It's, like, a big part of this, like, journey. Um, because, like, when I started playing FNMs, uh, like, he was there. And he was a kid, and he was crushing me. And, like, you know, we started, like, you know, seeing each other at, like, World Magic Cup qualifiers, like, as the only ones from the store going, even though he was, like, you know, 16 or so, uh, and I was, like, 19. Um and I kind of like bonding over the fact that like we were the ones like hungry for experience. Um, and so in like, what must it be like November 2012 or so, like he qualified for, um, he won a PDQ to qualify for Pro Tour Born of the Gods. You know, that, that was a big moment of like, okay, wow, now Margin is like going there. I need to follow him. And he ended up like, you know, making top 25 of that Pro Tour and re-qualifying. So, um, so like he was off, off of his journey like right away. And I was like, you know, dead set on like, you know, trying to get there with him. You know, end up winning a World Magic Cup qualifier with my pet red green aggro deck in the like, you know, tight shape of mystic uh, lifebane zombie meta game. Um, and uh, there was a, you know, um, there was like, you know, the big point that I like, qualified me for for the World Magic Cup. And so like at this point, it was like, okay, wow, like you know, Martin has been playing on the on the Pro Tour for a while. He was obviously the Danish national captain. I got to join the team with him. We had Thomas Annavoldsen also win one of the qualifiers, like definitely like, you know, the, the best Magic player we probably had at the time. And then like our fourth member was a, a last Beer, who's also played like, you know, a handful of Pro Tours. Uh, so like, it was like, it was a pretty strong team and then me. And I was like super motivated for this tournament. So um, I wasn't like very good, like at all. But um, I just like made it my you know mission to like play with every standard deck, kind of have like a big overview. I wasn't even in the standard seat because we thought that like okay, well maybe I could give like sideboard like input and such um, to like my teammates and like Thomas who had like not had time to practice. Like I would be able to give him info on like you know what would be in his opponent's deck and what he should play around um, while I was like you know like trying to co-pilot um, with, with with Lars. So we really like made sure to like try and like use every piece of the buffalo in our team, and I think that was like a big part of um, 
of what went well for us at the World Magic Cup, where you know we find ourselves in the top eight and uh, and all of a sudden you know like top decking the the infamous uh, Dane Blast, the, the Doom Blast that um, legitimately all of us have forgotten was in the deck um, to uh, to take the the, the the title over over Greece. Yeah, I mean you know the, the, the title aside, just like making top eight of the World Magic Cup was like that was what earned me the invite for my first Pro Tour. PT Fable Forged in, uh, in the, the beginning of 2015. So, yeah, that was like, you know, really like, you know, a, a very much a hard hitting start to my, you know, pro career uh, being like, you know, broadcasted in, in that finals. Yeah, that red green deck already sounds like classic Simon, this scrappy beat down deck, <laughs> which really should not exist given the context of the format and no one else would win with it but you you find a way you, you mentioned uh martin muller as someone who you were just lucky to know being this uh local mm-hmm. player to you and someone who you were able to like motivate each other and uh, improve from each other that really seems like a constant theme listening to a, a lot of uh successful players origin stories is being in the right place at the right time or being surrounded by the right people to really drive that improvement when people ask how to improve, one of the answers you hear a lot is just, uh, well, surround yourself with better players, which is often easier said than done, uh, d- depending on where you live. But if you are just already surrounded with them from the outset, like that's a, a great place to be. Yeah, definitely not a privilege in that. There's something interesting about this, though, in that like it's it can't just be like, you know, a, a full circle chain of like me- mentor like relationship. Because like, you know, like someone has to like have been great without having someone to look up to like to work closer with right and so it's like kind of interesting with with Mueller because he was like very much like just like obsessed with the game but like not really you know working with anyone like there were people from the store who were like you know helping him out and getting him to tournaments and he was like very young and of course like you know the fact that I was really hungry to code GPs I was like you know um so it was kind of like ended up being like more of a uh like uh a symbiotic relationship really yeah I, like if I talk to Martin Muller like would he say oh yeah I was surrounded by all of these great people or was it oh I was always going to be great you know it was only a matter of time <laughs> yeah that's a really really good point um I definitely think like part of it is like the fact that like the magic community already had strong players and because we're such a small country it's like much easier to get close to the good players um mm. and and then I also think like we got a bit lucky with like um the the like early team organization like i Almost like I played very few pro tours not on a team, um, and so something that like for my very first pro tour, like I was just you know like doing a little bit of draft testing with some of the Swedes and the other Danes. Um, so like that was not you know super serious, but then um, there was like this this Hungarian team uh, that was like almost like you know a a like drinking first pro tour second, a bunch of like European contractors and Austrians. There was like you know Chris Larsen from Denmark and so on. Like you know these. These guys who were just like you know love hanging out together, and then they also played the pro tour. Um, and so because like uh, Martin Dang is good friends with Chris Larson, when he qualified for pro tour Dragons of the Year, he ended up like working with these guys. Um, and you know fate would have it that Martin ends up winning that pro tour. Martin Dang this time, not Martin Miller, uh, wins pro tour uh, Dragons of the Year. This means that they, and at this point, the a lot of the like people who were like the party people of that team are no longer qualified for the next pro tour Origins which I ended up earning a silver invite for. So at this point, like, this, this like, you know, team is, like, kind of morphing because it had, like, you know, a lot of PC success, like, very recently with a win. And there was, like, you know, some interest of, like, other, like, hardworking people joining, like Magnus Lanto, who's, like, you know, one of the most organized team people you could ever have from Sweden. He's, like, you know, maybe a forgotten name at this point, but, like, definitely very, um, very important in, like, my, my early uh, Pro Tour team success. 
And so, yeah, we had this, this like team forming that would eventually become Team Eureka of like a bunch of like, you know, Euro- European guys. And because it was like in the very beginnings of this, it wasn't really a serious team yet. It was just like, you know, still a group of people, but like it was morphing into the serious group. Martin Miller could just like ask in their Facebook group, like, hey, I have my friend Simon. He qualified for the silver. Can he join the team? And there's like two thumbs up and no comments. And then I'm, I'm in the team. Um, and of course, the policy is always if you like, keep requalifying, you stay on the team. That's like usually how it is on the, uh, on these pro teams. And so fate would have it that I ended up like actually making X5 at that pro tour um, in Vancouver to qualify for the next one. And that's when like the team was like, you know, no longer just like, you know, like a bunch of random people, but actually trying to like organize itself. Matej Sadrakai joined um, as well, like another like, you know, um, person who wanted to have an organized testing system. And that's when we like really started to become like the best team in Europe, I think at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely very fortunate that I could like get in like to this like group of like very good players. Like Joe Larson won that pro tour in Vancouver that I was talking about. Right, so got to play with him and a lot of these like names like Pierre Dachon and so on, who was like Oliver Polak Rotman and uh, Emmanuel Gashinchan. A lot of like these like names who are like you know like they're not really a big part of the scene anymore. But back then, like they were definitely like a lot all the hype. And yeah, I think definitely got very fortunate in in like being able to surround myself with these people as well. Going back to uh, Denmark for a second, uh, you, you mentioned four or five uh, excellent players. Since then, a, lo- a lot more have joined them too. So Michael Bondi and there have been a bunch of others as well. What is it about, uh, for such a small country, is there something about the scene or is it almost the fact that it was so small, man, it was a more tight-knit group and you had that that same quality that we mentioned at the start of uh, just being in proximity to all these good players kind of helped to level up the entire group? I think definitely the proximity, like, I feel like it has to matter. Um, but on the other hand, we also see, like, big countries, like, you know, the Czech Republic produce a lot of good players. So maybe I'm, like, wrong about that. Like, right now, Poland is pretty strong. But I also think something that, like, at least was the case with, like, the store that me and, and Martin played at, like, Martin Miller, it was, like, very competitive FNMs. We played, like, top eights at our FNMs, which, like, you know, eventually, like, Wizards shut that down. Um, but, like, and we would, like, you know, we were playing for, like, not money, but, like, for, um, for like, store credit. And so I remember having this big, like, you know, half, uh, half of a regular page um, size card, um, the gift card for the store. And you would like, you know, there would be like a line where you could like write a number. And it's like, that's how much the gift card is. And, like the first time you come in, you pay, like, you know, run into enter the FNM and you end up going top eight and then you win prizes. And like then, you know, you get the price on the gift card. And next time you would go in and they would like, you know, scratch out the number, write like, you know, 50 crowns less, which is like what it would cost to like enter the event like what eight dollars or so and then like you would go and play and you would sub eight again and then they would like scratch out that number and add like your price winnings and you just have this this like gift card that had you know numbers scribbled all over it like trying to find room to like find the next one because like you just played every week like and like two numbers get added to the card every week uh, one for the price payment like one for the payment and one for the prize winnings um and so we were just like trying to go like kind of go infinite with these gift cards and like that was like you know, it kind of like became a competition to see like, you know, whoever could get like the biggest number on this like hardboard, you know, <laughs> piece of paper, which like, you know, was definitely like end up being worth way more money for like such a, uh, you know, uh, thing you could easily lose. Um, and so I honestly think like having like this sort of environment for a weekly store play was incredibly important for like, you know, cultivating people. Also, Oscar Christensen is another name who's like been frequenting that store. Um, also end up being a great player so there's something to that on top of like the like national feeling of like you know trying to help each other out zooming out then to europe more widely one of my memories of the the european gp scene is 
compared to at least uh, in North America and so on, is it felt a lot more distinct in the sense that you had these these regional groupings. So uh, you had, oh, these are the Italian guys who you know you're going to see at every tournament. And oh, here's the German players and, and so on. And then watching how those groups would kind of mix and match uh, was also this interesting process in its own right. And it feels like in these these larger tournaments in North America, there's some of that maybe by state, by region, but it, it feels much less uh, national in that sense. Uh, does that track to you? I think like there's still like, you know, some level of like, nationality going on like i mentioned the polish players and there's like you know the like Bel- uh belgian netherland players there's like france it's like a very like na- national magic country like where they like often always work together like all the french people so yeah i don't know i think that's like still very much like i think that is set in stone but you also see people like you know like mingucci and talizzi who like don't work with the italian like with the like a lot of the other italians and like you know there's like definitely like you know some break off and you're like obviously i have javier who's like not working with the spanish players there's like you know some like some diffusion going on but i think there's still like i think that the like national contingent still like paint a lot of the picture of what's going on in the european magic scene and for the the european uh, gp circuit specifically it felt like uh, gps were this this proving ground for new talent where there would be some players who often would qualify for their first pt by doing well at a gp and then they would parlay that into uh being regular uh faces on the pro tour but then also you'd have these people who if you were playing the gps you would see them at all those gps and uh you could see them improve over time where now they're consistently day twoing now they're uh just in the hunt for top eight and maybe missing out and then you're really happy for them once they get their first results and it feels like without that stage in the process now there's you have the regional championships but those are one per cycle and have this this different vibe to them it feels like it might be harder for the people who are starting out to get to the point where they can break through and, and get to the pro tour consistently yeah it's true especially like i i definitely like you know desperately wish that like gps would come back um i have a hope that they do but i can also see like from a business perspective like they, they might not be like you know feasible um without connecting them to like the bigger magic cons but yeah like the gps were definitely like very important for this exact thing where like anyone who's like you know not necessarily like, consistently playing at the pro tour level, but maybe I played some pro tours. Um, could like show up and you would like get to play like the, you know day two of a GP, especially against like all these like really good players. And it's like one of the best ways to get better at matching is to like play in tournaments, like not just like play you know leagues and stuff, but play against someone who like wants to try their hardest to beat you. Like, it makes it, like it's just so much um so much more giving. And that like right now, this kind of like feels like a bottleneck between like you know the people who are like looking to get on the PT and the people who are on the PT because like it's kind of hard to get there, um, and like that's quite unfortunate I think because um, it's like there's not as much free flow because obviously like the GPs end up being like kind of this ladder system where like you know okay, at some point like you know the, the GP regulars would like end up making sub eights like you know I've played like seventy GPs in my life like it's kind of, it adds up it's a lot um, and yeah once you like start making sub eight or, or, or grand prix well that's when you start you know like racking up these pro tour invites and actually like making a name for yourself in that scene yeah so tying all of those threads together uh your next uh performance that re- people really take note of was uh gp brussels the end of 2015 mm-hmm. this is where i think both you and eureka really put your mark on that tournament uh one of the examples of a format which was just coming off of a standard pro tour of being like rebroken again during the course of the GP season. Uh, so I imagine that event ha- holds a, a special place in your memory too. Can you you, uh, you go through some of the history there? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was, uh, yeah, so I mentioned, like, Team Eureka here. Like, this is, you know, 2015, we just played, like, you know, PT Vancouver together, and then PT Milwaukee, I think it was, uh, with Standard, where Martin Miller um, got his top eight, uh, his first Proto top eight. Um, and we had seen that, like, Matt Nass had got, like, eight and two with a Rally of the Ancestors deck that looked pretty interesting. And so Miller was, like, very interested in this deck. Um, it's kind of ignored. Pascal Maynard also debated a GP with this deck, but like still no one talked about it. Um, and and so he just like realized that I think that the common consensus was that Absent Aggro was the best deck, and they had Anafensa. So of course you can't play a graveyard centric deck because you just get hosed by Anafensa, um, which is actually incredibly short sighted because obviously the the Relic plays a bunch of good cards and they can actually play through a three mana four four and had like you know ways to remove it. So, um, so we just like set out to practice with this deck, and it ended up being like uh, me, Mueller, Magnus Lanto, and Martin Dang were the four people playing the deck in the tournament, and we placed second, third, fifth, and eleventh, um, which was you know quite the feat. Um, and like this was like you know also my first like you know like GP success experience. I went up like nine zero on day one together with with Magnus Lanto. Was like super hyped about that, and like you know day two also went pretty well. And I remember like. You know, before the sub eight, I went to get like some food with, with Martin, who was also in the sub eight, right? Uh, and and I was like, we we're just like talking about like our magic journey up to this point. And I said like, yeah, I just like thank him for like you know being this like you know beacon that I was like you know had like someone that could like drive my motivation, um, because like I wanted to follow him and like for also like helping me like just playing so much magic against me to make me better. And and he looked at me like kind of like heavily like you know Martin who like you know is not like necessarily like generous with his kind words. Um, and I was like, oh Simon, I actually don't think I could have made it without you too. Like you know taking me to all those grand prix. And it was like kind of a heartwarming like feeling. Um, like you know two guys recognizing like this symbiotic relationship that I like you know mentioned earlier. Um, and yeah, like so that like first of all that meant that like I was qualified for another pro tour. Uh, because I think I kind of bricked in Milwaukee. Um, and of course, like once you qualify for two protos in a season, it's very easy to like rack up points and like try and, and, and go for like silver or gold. So this was, um, pre- pretty important, uh, like milestone for me. And then over the next few years, you really just start, uh, dominating the, the GP circuit in this quite funny way where you're, you're sleeping through Ramon of day two and then making top eight anyway, <laughs> or, uh, back-to-back top aiding with Hogak and then at some point you're just putting a bunch of random one-offs in your deck because it doesn't matter the deck's broken I'm broken it almost doesn't matter how you fill it out from that point uh and I, I remember people you know back when I was living in the UK I think you heard uh top aided back-to-back GP Birmingham's and then you just come to the next one and and win that one I believe or get a second there so uh all of these funny stats which uh, add up to a really impressive run of GP finishes, but it felt like there wasn't the the corresponding breakthrough at the the PT level. Do you think there was some uh, something holding you back to where like you were you were doing very well, but you hadn't quite reached that next stage yet, or was it just I'm doing well, but the PTs are tough, and uh, it's a matter of time, but I just need to wait a, a, a bit longer for that. Yeah, it's like actually like you know in this time it's been like you know three to four years have passed from like 2015 to like 20. Uh, 2019, where, where like the the last GP happened that was debated uh, in Vegas, and um, like throughout this time, like I was, you know, as I said, I was working with like you know Team Eureka. We had like Thomas Hendricks is um is like one of the team members there who um, he had a debate at PC Dragons of Takir, and then like at PC Dominaria, um, he also debated. I think at this point, Team Eureka had broken up, and I was working with yeah, I was working with Midcard at this point, um, and. Like, so, so Thomas makes top eight of, of that pro tour and he like looks at me and, and goes like, so Simon, when are you going to make top eight? And 
I was like kind of stunted, like, uh, I don't know. I mean, is this my spot? But it's like, kind of interesting because like, I think me and Thomas were like, you know, at least at a similar-ish level, um, like on, on the team. And, but he had like two pro Trotter bays and I had none. And it always like felt like, you know, even though I had like played like, you know, like like more than 10 pro tours at this point, that whenever I like imagined myself in the top eight of a pro tour, like imagine that like top eight photo, it would like, I couldn't really like put my own face in there. It felt like, you know, someone had like, you know, uh, cut it out of like a, a magazine and like taped my face over the top of the actual person in the top eight of the, of the pro tour. Like it was just hard for me to actually like see myself in that position, even though I had like, at this point, multiple GP top eights. I wonder if that like mental setup had actually like, you know, kept me back a bit. Um, I, I definitely like in Sydney, the last pro tour of the 2015, 2016 season where I like, had gone with with Thomas Hendricks, and I think I, we ended up like taking a draw in round like twelve or so because we both like because the way the like pro point system like worked, the draw would like give us like some number of points. Where like the one extra point from the draw would be like enough to make a threshold if like I needed to go like two and one from that point, and I think he needed to go like three and zero oh or something like that. But like yeah, where the draw actually mattered a lot, and so we took a draw earlier, and like it was like Martin Müller told me that like that was like why did you do that? Now your top eight chances are worse. Because, like, we were, like, it was pretty late in the tournament. We were absolutely in the run for top eight. Um, and so, um, and and so that, that was, like, kind of a point where it's like, yeah, but, like, you know, I'm not a person who top eights pro shorts. Like, I'm a person who, like, you know, maybe I can get gold. That would be a huge goal. Like, that's what I'm trying, you know, to set my sights on. Um, and I ended up going 2 and one getting gold, but also getting 10th and, like, not making the, the top eight. And so, and that was, like, didn't really feel like, you know, any, like, that I got, oh, I got so close, like, you know, maybe next time. Like, I, it was just not at all in my range. I was just super hyped about, like, making it that far and getting that, you know, gold uh, level. So qualified for all the pro tours in, in, in 2016-17 season. Yeah, it, 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 it's very interesting, like, whether my own mentality was, like, this, this thing that blocked me off there. I also think, honestly, that, like, I think pro tour Eldritch Moon was, like, the, the one in Sydney there. Uh, was, like, the first time where I, like, started to do well in Limited because I put aside like my own notions about the format and only just listen to what other people told me, um, which is definitely like, that's also very good advice. Like, you know, not just like surround yourself with good players, but also like listen. Um, and the um, and the other thing was also like my, my deck selection. Um, obviously having a team makes deck selection better, but like not always. And so it was kind of like a swingy thing where like sometimes I would have pro tools where I had a really good limited record, but then my, you know, like for instance, the pro tour in... Uh, uh, in Richmond, the Oko Pro Tour, where like I went five and one in limited, but then I, you know, had worked with Bati and we had sometimes uh, somehow convinced ourselves to play Risen Reef uh, and not Oko in the Oko Pro Tour, and you know, <laughs> and so my record was just like I think I went five and five in, in in constructed, or the reverse. Whenever I had a good like constructed run, it would be paired with a bad limited run. So like it was like I just like never really succeeded in this like multi format setup because. At this point, I was very much a person who was like not very talented at magic, but got a lot of my strength through just like sheer practice. And it's really hard to be sh- like super like to outwork everyone else if you're doing it in two formats at once. But it's much easier if you're just doing it in one format, like for every. Sticking on your deck selection for a second, so I think you're someone who is known for these like scrappy aggro decks and for decks which try to maybe execute a specific game plan in this kind of compressed time frame. So the Hogak 
uh, example would mm-hmm. fit in there too, where it's you're not playing a lot of turns if things going to plan, but there's a lot of these sequencing decisions and micro decisions uh, that come into play over the course of uh, those few turns. And then I do also know you, and maybe this is where the Risen Reef stuff comes in, for these kind of uh, weird and wacky decks as well. So I think the first time I met you in person, uh, we were talking about this Tesha, Rona, like the bad Rona from years ago, uh, yeah. <laughs> loop combo deck where like you, but one of these decks which you physically can't play on Magic Online because of the amount of clicking involved. Um, how would you describe your own play style or deck selection at this point? I think you've shown you have the range to kind of pick up basically anything and be successful with it. But uh, if left to your own devices, what do you gravitate towards? Yeah, I think like Hogag is like very much a like, prime example of like what I like to do. Um, it's like synergistic aggro decks or some sort of like you know similar thing where like it's basically like combat has to matter um and the like game plan has to like not like last very many turns but it has to be like a lot of decisions in those turns i think like because a lot of my drive towards magic is like trying to like just play as perfectly as possible and like just it, i'm just obsessed with like trying to you know f- like figure out the like optimal decisions at all times um and this also meant that like you know i was kind of a slow player in the beginning and i was like thinking on which land drop to play uh, with like my Valakut deck, which I do think is important to play that deck well. Um, but like this, uh, uh, these things were like, you know, all these like, you know, minuscule things that I had a lot of practice, like thinking about like, okay, well, what could be the reason that like, it's good to play fetch land here, but what's the reason to play shock land? Okay, well, I guess there's like, you know, you gain like, you know, 0.2 percentage points by playing the fetch land here. Like these sort of things um, I had already like, I, I had a lot of training with. And so it translated really well. So when you're playing, you know, a deck like like Hogag or like the Soldier's deck I debated with in um, at, at Worlds, where like you over the course of like the first four to five turns, you have a lot of like sequencing things and developmental things, uh, like you know which order you actually play your cards because all your cards are cheap, but um, you know maybe it's like and like most of the time it might not matter, you know, which order you play them in, but then sometimes it does, and and like eking out the percentage points. For whenever like that actually that order actually matters and the fact that like it's not a heuristic that like it's very like context and game dependent you always have to like think about these like pros and cons every time you you like play out your first four turns with, with this deck um so i think that's something i'm very good at and like that translates pretty well so i'm definitely like, i think i tend to do better when like these decks are good and i also like have had a tendency to like lean more towards decks i like in testing but make sure i like lock in early so i can like get a lot of practice with them and then you you mentioned uh, having to learn how to get better at limited as well does that attitude carry over there to some extent as well so for example there was this great deep dive that you did of uh, one of the drafts from uh, Pro Tour Lord of the Rings where you were going through the draft picks and the, the logic behind them in a lot of detail, but also taking it in a direction that I don't think really anyone else would have in terms of stuff like, well, there's a late chance met elves. And so that's what that means about the, uh, the kind of cards which you're going to have to also wheel and look to, to wheel in this next pack in order to make that pick, if you had taken it, uh, this, this more reliable payoff. Things which maybe you don't necessarily need to think about to do well at limited but if you're if you are able to think about them in those terms like that is kind of leveling up your game in a way that i, th- I think a lot of people wouldn't yeah i think the me- the wheel matters a lot in limited um at like a really high level like it doesn't matter that much in arena because you're just going to wheel like the card you were considering a lot of the times like taking first pick like not necessarily like that that like egregious but a lot of times like you know you will just like wheel the good cards and you'll get enough playables and like you'll be fine um but like if everyone is contesting like everyone knows what the good cards are and those cards are contested 
you're gonna also get some bad cards and it's really important to know how to like make good use out of bad cards um i guess that's another thing i'm pretty good at is like and love doing is just winning with bad cards um and so that also like translates a little bit to limited um definitely trying to like you know like look out for like ways to to utilize these um i would say like this scenario you, you mentioned here with like the chance met else thing that was like you know usually i try like it's I try and have this be something um, I have prepared beforehand. Like I already know which like, you know, bad comments I'm interested in. Enchantment Elves was not one of them. Um, this like scry deck. And I hadn't like, I hadn't actually put the pieces together that you can do this in, in like any green deck really. And it was like, mostly just like a, like I played against Lisi Chan on day one who had a black green scry deck. Um, where I was like, oh, okay, I can actually see how this works. You just like play these like dorky green things and pair them with black removal and then it, it still works. Uh, and also like hearing alpha frog like you know like i just heard like one sentence about like that he said like he liked the chance with elves because you get them for free in his green decks or he liked green because you could get the, the elves for free that was not how we drafted on the team so we kind of like dismissed it but i have like a very sticky brain and so like that information just gets stored and in the in that draft like part of it was like i was able to retrieve that i mean not fully because i wasn't able to recognize it in time and actually pick up the chance with elves when i needed to but more so this like, oh right, there was like this thing that Alpha Frog said, and then this deck that VC Chan played against me yesterday. Maybe that's actually how I make this pile come together into something coherent, uh, even though I hadn't done it before. So yeah. Uh, I don't know if that, that answers your question. But. No, it, it, no, it does. I, I think it maybe goes against some of the conventional rhythm where these days uh, it's pretty easy to end up with almost too many playables it is quite rare that you have to scrap to find some like 23rd playable or you you ever run the risk of not having enough and and so one way to interpret that would be you just don't really need to care about the bad cards as much because there's less chance that you end up having to put them in your deck i think that's maybe less true at the pc level where people know what the good and bad cards are more reliably and will contest those more readily and so yeah you, you don't get these insane decks that you have on arena or even in the the leagues on magic online but you just kind of get everything and and people let you get that but also what other way you could take it is that these days the bad cards are not these outright unplayable cards for the most part there's these cards which are only good in quite specific scenarios and if you're able to identify what those are and capitalize on those and you are creating an edge for yourself that way yeah, I think they do a lot of this with like uh, the way they design sets nowadays, which I love. Like, you know, just like making more build around and like more um, bad cards. Good. I actually, I like, kind of want to like return to uh, we're talking about like you know brews and deck choices. Um, yeah. I think like the viewers or the listeners should maybe know that um, like the the like one of the times that we play tested together for a pro tour and they ended up playing the same deck um, in the like team reclamation field um, where both of us played mono black aggro. Yeah, I mean that. I, I don't know if that uh, belongs in the uh, the Risen Reef uh, category of mistakes or not, but it was. Uh, I mean, you, you did a lot better with it than I did, and uh, that that came as no surprise. But but also, it was yeah, fun to like see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was fun to see. I think it was Riku Kuba guy making second at the grand finals with it a few months later. But uh, oh, true, not, yeah. <laughs> not not going to pretend I saw it coming or anything. Uh, that was uh, you know. Yeah, so but, maybe that was actually a good choice, and we we were just like, yeah, who knows? And then we did not, you know, yeah. At, at the time. It definitely like felt like you know kind of a mistake because like we both just bombed out and we also like i mean we i, I am convinced that like we were good against like the team of reclamation decks but we were just terrible against um any teferi deck and that's something that we just hadn't like you know probably planned for because obviously teferi like three mana teferi was like uh very popular and also i think there was like a card that got printed in like in between our pt and the the, the grand finals where Riku kumagai played it that was really important for that deck 
Uh-huh. Probably. I, I I played against a lot of uh, Cauldron Familiars in that uh, oh, sure. PT as well, which I just not bode well for, for that deck either. But yeah, I, that, that, that gave me a front row seat to uh, to how your mind works, and I guess you to how mine works as well, um, to whatever extent it does. But uh, <laughs> speaking on that that topic of innovation, I guess, uh, one thing that some people might know you for from like the early pandemic days is actually set roulette, where the, oh, the yeah. premise here for people who uh, were not around at the time was you basically... Uh, with a few days of notice you get given uh a standards worth of sets taken at random so so, uh two big sets some small sets and a core set uh and then you have to uh build a deck from those and then that so that was a a monthly event run by the mythic society and it was i I would say a casual event but i remember uh, a lot of people i think including the group that you were part of taking that very seriously and often coming up with these like quite innovative decks which uh you know were I guess breaking a format, if you if you want to call it that. So it was quite uh, validating to see a lot of the set roulette alumni go on to these great things. So like you, I think JMM was uh, mm-hmm. a big yeah, player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Two. Yeah, yeah. We had the, the finals of like the uh, Neon Dynasty Championship, which was like between me and JMM, like you know, two of the like you know valiant members of the set roulette community. <laughs> yes, I mean, we'll get to that uh, that tournament before long. But uh, once the pandemic hits uh, and all of competitive play is moved online, what was your uh, experience of just competitive play during that era? And then it felt like we go from the end of 2019, where you are doing very well, but still waiting on that breakout PT finish, to then uh, you get that at the very end of the online organized play. And then as soon as... Uh, the paper proto comes back you're just destroying everything in your site so uh was there some kind of level up moment or process during that that you can trace it back to or what, what was the story I mean, of that from your perspective i mean like what happened in those mystery years is team magic like yeah that is yeah that, that's like the big the big picture thing but like also like for me personally um like going like, going into like right before the pandemic i got to japan for like the uh the regional pro tour Three pro tours you could like pick which one to attend. I went to Nagoya for um for the pro tour there um in Pioneer to work with Midcard and like to see my good friend Zen Takahashi again. And like that had gone like you know okay-ish, but like not good enough for me to qualify for the next one. I knew the next regional pro tour was in Copenhagen, and I was incredibly excited about like you know having a hometown PT, but I wasn't qualified, which also like was kind of heartbreaking for me. It would be like the first pro tour I had missed since like uh since like Vancouver in 2015. Uh, but then the pandemic happened. The, the Copenhagen regional got like canceled. I ended up like winning a last chance qualifier for the replacement pro tour. Um, so I actually got to play it uh, anyway. Um, but it was just you know it was just online. Um, but like right before the pandemic happened, there was a Grand Prix in Lille, I think, where I went to have lunch with Sam Rolf, um, and he had this idea for a Discord community of online grinders, which I mean you know very well because you were part of that group. Um, that. Uh, that like you know like wanted to like work together for like the Magic Online Championships and potentially Pro Tours and so on in the future, and I was like very down for, to join that group. Um, and that was kind of like you know the, the like you know very first baby steps of like what would become Team Handshake. Um, so like I think that like you know lunch meeting was like a big, a big like foreshadowing of what was to come because obviously then the pandemic hit. Like on my way home from that GP, um, I was like staying with a friend for like a few days afterwards, and then like on my flight home. Like, when I left, there was, like, nothing, you know, like, we just knew COVID was a thing. And then when I landed, I checked my phone. It was, like, Denmark is not has closed its borders. I was, like, oh, no. Wow. Okay. Um, these three hours really just changed everything. So, like, yeah, that was very much, like, you know, the start of, like, a new era. And 
what happened was that it was actually really good for me personally because I had like been using magic as like my you know source of income while studying as well. Um, and like moving things online, um, sort of you, for instance, I could play in all the SEG events because they were all online now instead of like, I could never play any one of them in the States, right? Because that's like a long travel. And I could earn money from these tournaments without having to pay for my flight. And so it actually meant that like, because of this like group, um, in this Discord group and this way of like working together with like, you know, people from abroad where like you're not necessarily landlocked into like having to work with, with people who you are um, like geographically close to, you just have everything online. I was able to like, you know, keep my competitive spirit alive during these years where like, you know, the uh, organized play seemed to be failing. And I, I was certainly also like looking at other options for like other games or like ways to like my life could go, but also like magic was still really fun. It was fun to prepare for tournaments and I was winning and I was still making money. So I kept doing it. Um, and this like, you know, this, and also my desire to like, you know, just try and like improve myself and play better. Like no matter how bad organized play is, that desire is still there. And so I think that like fueled me a lot through like these years. Um, and then obviously like, you know, qualifying for the, um, the first set championship, the like, you know, Seneca set championship. That's where we had the actual first, like, you know, gathering of like people from this discord group working together. Tangrams was there um and and like tristan while uh was someone we picked up and we had like a bunch of the people who are like on the team now like was like you know part of it back then like Stefan shoots i think too so this was um yeah this is like you know when it felt like the pt was like quote unquote back but like in a different form and all online but it still felt like preparing for pt and so uh, over the course of those events uh we we can jump ahead to the new competitor championship if you like but mm-hmm. uh that that uh year and a half two year stretch in there you you kind of are in the same spot you were before if if i'm reading it right where you you kind of uh are able to keep qualifying for the next one and kind of scrapping your way there but that that top eight is often like just out of your grasp or you're you're seeing other team members like have these these great successes but like you're, you're still waiting for that signature finish yourself yeah it's actually like um that like those years actually marked the first time i for real missed like my pt invite um was like for the uh, the year before in the Strixhaven Championship, like I had lost three PDQ finals uh, equivalents um, mm. to qualify for that. That's the first time that's happened to me. I know that's like a very common thing, um, and it also like made me realize how lucky I've gotten to like always win my finals instead of losing them. But, like this time, you know, it all happened together. That like, all my losses came like for the same event. I wasn't qualified for that one. The team did incredibly well for that tournament, putting like I think two two players in the top eight um and like breaking standard and i was like so you know sad that i couldn't join them so i was really fired up to like try and qualify for the next ones and yeah again like i strung together invites but these tournaments were really also like testing testing me very hard because as i said like my deck choices were not necessarily great and especially if i'm preparing for multiple formats and so what always happened was that i would have a pretty good deck in one format and then i would just simon it up and like play something dumb in the other format and i would lose and that just happened over and over again. So we just have these like middling finishes, at least like for the first, you know, couple of them. And then like for the, uh, and then I started like, you know, having like some okay finishes in the next ones. Like we kind of like, you know, got, got our got our stuff together and I had like a really good season. Um, I was like up on top of like the challenger leaderboard at the time, which meant that I had like, you know, a world championship invite potentially because um, of the way that world championship invites worked at the time. There was like a bunch of people from like who weren't part of the MPL and rivals were like, going to be invited to Worlds, and since I had, like, you know, crushed, like, done really well at these Pro Tours, I was actually, at, like, at the top of this, uh, of these standings, and the only thing I needed to do to, like, 100% lock it up 
Um, I mean, I might have just like been fine going 05 and still like earned that invite. That was like how good my placement was uh, going into this pro tour. Um, but I just wanted to like make day two because that would like 100% block it up. And so that was like always my focus, which meant like the pressure on me was like obviously a little bit, uh, a little bit less. And I had like, you know, the, I played like a deck in the historic portion that I really loved, the, the humans deck. And for the standard portion, I just like, you know, was like, instead of like going with what I would have played, which would be like some Naya runes or something, I resigned myself to just giving up and just like taking a deck that one of my teammates had worked on. So Sakini had worked on the Esper deck, Esper midrange with Rafine that just came out. Um, and I just like picked up that deck and uh, that proved to be like an incredible good decision because instead of having a good deck and a bad deck, this time I had a good deck and a good deck. And one of the decks, maybe I wasn't like, you know, super sharp in how to play it, but it was a deck with creatures. So I could still like manage, right? It had a lot of micro decisions, but like, especially around Rafine, it's like um, a card that, that also like, um, they, you know, present these like, you know, a bunch of like decisions early in the game um, and, and like virtual combat very well. So I ended up like top eighting that Pro Tour um, or that new Capanna Championship. And that was like, you know, really a, uh, yeah, that was like kind of a, like, you know, big relief. And also, like, you know, at this point, like, the, the team had, like, consistently had a person, like, one or two people in the top eight of these tournaments. So, and this one, we absolutely crushed it. Like, so, it was, like, kind of, like, like obviously, I was excited for myself, but I was also just stoked for everyone else because we had four people in the top eight and four more in the top 16. Like, it's just a phenomenal experience for the entire team. And I was so hyped for, like, all the other people who also made this top eight. Yeah, we just, like, felt like an incredible time at the moment. I was just, like, really glad to be part of it. And did that feel to you like when you mentioned that years prior to that, you you would imagine yourself in these Pro Tour Top 8 photos uh, and so on, and like thinking about what that moment would mean when it finally came. Did this feel like that moment, even though it was online and the branding was different? Was that like the the experience and the the achievement that you had imagined there? No, no, it wasn't. It was, it felt really good. I'm very proud of that achievement. I definitely think it's a Pro Tour Top 8. Like the level at those tournaments were really high. It was like quite difficult um but of course i had imagined a stage i had imagined interview like or like you know like face-to-face interviews and like you know and and hugging people and so on and like you know i got to like do it in another way i got like to be known for something that you know i hadn't thought would be part of my you know first portrait debate which would be like oh i'm dancing simon yeah i mean sure i mean i like to like rug out some music when i play at home and i guess there's a camera showing that like which i can't do when i play in real life so um it's like, it was like, just like so weird. Like obviously like the top eight photos, like not a collected, like, you know, chunk of people. It's just like, you know, like, like eight headshots, like next to each other. So um, it's very, like, it, it just like felt different enough from the Pro Tour that like it felt a lot more like in my reach to like in, within my abilities to like top eight a tournament like that. So yeah, that's like, it's kind of interesting because it's kind of like a smooth um, transition Instead of like having this, you know, like overcome this big barrier of like, oh, I'm not good enough to top eight a pro tour to like top eighting a pro tour. Instead, I had this like, you know, middle ground thing where it's like, no, but you can like do it online. It's like a little bit different. Like you don't have to, it's not the same thing. So you can do it. Um, yeah, I wonder if that helped. Like it, it's very possible that like if, if all this time everything was, was like live. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would have done the same. Maybe um, it obviously would have been very different. Right. So it's hard to say, but. Yeah, it turns out you won't have to wait too long then because uh, we get to Pro Tour March on the Machine just uh, about a year later and there you are in the top eight and this will be, turns out, a, a common occurrence over the course of the year. But that is <laughs> finally your first official Pro Tour top eight. Did, did that give you uh, the good brain chemicals instead? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, again, I, I won't like, you know, this, like, 
this mist that they've worked. Like, there were definitely a lot of good brain chemicals for, like, the, the first one as well. But this one felt like actually achieving the goal. So that's it. Like, you know, when I started playing Magic, I, you know, back in, like, 2011, I had, like, stumbled upon coverage of, like, PT Paris. And I watched, like, you know, these people playing the topic of a, of a Protro. And I was like, wow, I really want to do that. Specifically, like, playing on stage in the topic of a Protro. Like, for these, like, you know, really, like, big money. Um, and that's what I've been working towards for like 10 years, 12 years. Um, and, and so I think like, obviously like that, you know, that tournament, like I definitely felt the pressure. There was a point in time where like on day two in the draft where I'm, I think I might've had the best deck at the table, or at least like, you know, like one of the best ones. Um, and I absolutely just like fumble in the, in like playing and I'd lost to Nathan and lost to Javier, uh, where I just like, you know, you had this like, you know, brain fog experience where you, you think you can't think straight and you just like make blunders like left and right. Um, and I was like just losing it, like you know, feeling like okay, I mean, maybe I can't make this. Um, and then I go into standard, and I mulligan to four, um, and and then I end up winning that match uh, where like winning that game where I mulled to four, and I was like, okay, wait, hold on, no, maybe I'm actually back, like you know, maybe I'm gonna be fine. And I end up like obviously like some really challenging matches, uh, but I end up playing this red black deck, which by the way, again, I want to highlight was another deck that I loved. Um, it's not my usual style, but the fact that it isn't. Like, I, I don't like mid-range decks when they're, like, long, grindy, like, trying to get, like, eke every value out of things. But this one wasn't that. This was a burn deck. Like, you just kill people, and I, that's what I like. You know, I just like, you know, like, blasting people with, like, you know, weird chandler combos. Like, that, that, that was cool. Um, and so, even though, like, my, you know, mental was, like, you know, very shaky, my, like, love for, like, playing the standard deck, which is, like, what fueled me, and I, you know, went 4-0 in the last four rounds of standard. Or in the next four rounds and and like earned that top eight and like that felt like, i was just over the moon about that and then on the next day when i actually get to play on stage against autumn in this like awesome match um where we also like you know it takes long enough that we get moved on camera we get to play all five games and like that felt like i had you know like that was the thing i was dreaming of right like just playing on that stage for like you know this high pressure but still with like you know, a person that I adore and that you know we're good friends and that we can like still, you know, have this like that atmosphere going on at the same time was like um yeah, just absolutely incredible. Like that yeah. That felt for me like the moment where like, you know, everything came together. Yeah, I mean that that was a very fun match for me to watch as someone who, you know, knows both of you and, and Auden was my Martin Miller essentially. You know, we played at the same store oh, for a long really? time and yeah, oh. and so also the same experience at first of, oh, wow, this person is much better than me. I want to be like that. What, what am yeah, I meant yeah, to yeah. do? Uh, and took me a little bit longer th- uh, to figure it out. but uh, And still definitely not there yet, but uh, maybe on track. But I don't know. Uh, you also have a pro to made now, mister. So. <laughs> well, yeah. And funny you should say that, Simon, because uh, <laughs> uh, along for, for the ride there is you again coming off the uh, the finish from last time. So after that uh, top eight in Martin Machine, did that change your your attitude, your mindset heading into what it turns out is going to be an even more dominant performance in uh, in Barcelona? Well, so the thing is that when you reach a goal, you need a new one. And so after that like tournament, I was like, okay, well, I now actually have two Pro Tour top eights. You know, I started playing the Pro Tour in 2015. So in 2025, I would be a Hall of Fame eligible. It would be very cool if I had a Hall of Fame resume by that time. Also... I know Martin Miller ended up with three Pro Tours of Bates before he stopped playing Magic. <laughs> and there was, okay. like, back in the 90s, um, there was a guy named Sven Gerzen uh, who traveled four Pro Tours. Um, and I, like, you know, like, looked up the history of those stats, and I was like, hmm, it doesn't take me that much more to become the best Magic player in Denmark ever. 
that was like kind of like what fueled me is like okay so i have a couple of years to like try and get these like next couple sub updates if i do like one a year that's like seems possible that's like what it's been you know these, these past few things obviously i'm not guaranteed it's really hard to submit a pro tour that could very well not happen but that's at least like a somewhat realistic goal like i could try and f- to fuel myself um and but of course you know barcelona that's not going to be the one I, that's also what I told people when they just said, like, you know, good luck and so on for, like, the next tournament. Like, I hope to see you in top eight. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's not going to happen. Like, you know, I got my top eight here. Now we're just relaxing. We're in Barcelona. I'm going to, like, you know, I'm just going to, like, focus on, like, you know, the, the like, uh, testing house process, trying to help my teammates. We want to get as many of us qualified for Worlds as possible. It's going to be a grand time. Um, and then it was a grand time that involved me winning just a whole bunch of matches as well. Yeah, I, I remember you saying... uh and I wasn't sure if it was joking or half joking or whatever about your your top eight shirt that you had packed because you knew you were going to be there on Sunday and you wanted to be uh, dressed for the occasion. And honestly, at this point, that might just be a sensible thing to do going forward. I don't know. Yeah, that's actually true. Okay, so like you, know, despite me saying that like I'm not going to top eight and such, I actually like when I was packing my bag, I was like, hmm, no, I'm going to bring this shirt to like in case I I make you know, top eight on Sunday so I can wear something nice. Um, and, yeah, I, it's like. I don't know. Maybe, I, I definitely will say that, like, the confidence from, like, and, and like, the momentum from, like, the, the last approach was made. Definitely also, like, it definitely felt, like, much more possible, right? Like, that sort of thing is not something that, like, you know, pre-2023 Simon would have ever thought to do. Um, because, of course, like, you know, why would you plan for making the top eight? That's just not a thing you can do, right? But, yeah, now it is very much. And so, um, yeah, so I, I think, like, you know, the, like, confidence and the momentum coupled with, like, not actually having a lot of pressure and again like liking my deck like you know i think we did a lot of good work on the tron deck and so like honestly i think like my you know sheer like joy about my my constructed decks had mattered a lot throughout the entire season it turns out not every tournament will start off that well and so uh fast forward just a few weeks to worlds where i i run into you when you are i think own two and your your lunch just exploded in your bag and you're just holding this this uh soggy bag of food that you have to dispose of somehow and i, I mean you're, you're always you're always friendly and you you seem pretty unflappable but is that masking some inner turmoil like do you when you're when you're off your bad stuff like that do you have to kind of find a way to recenter yourself or do you just have about the same mindset no matter what oh uh, yeah that was kind of interesting yeah yeah i did i did have like um i put like and like an orange juice uh bottle like back into my you know uh plastic bag of food or of snacks um without like the lid properly secured and so um you actually would find me in like the player lounge um just like wiping off orange juice off my like apples and my like granola bars and so on um, which were getting like incre- you know more and more sticky um but yeah i didn't did manage that so well i do actually remember that like i was talking to you as i realized yeah it's kind of funny but i will also say like you know like i definitely like portray a lot of this like you know happy-go-lucky guy um like you know nothing nothing can ever be wrong but at that owen two, like i went to you know like i went to the bathroom i couldn't find it so i went to the one downstairs uh which is pretty sure. far away and then as I was washing my hands or I, I checked my phone, I realized, oh my God, the pairings are up and I need to hurry. And I like started spiraling like mentally because I might not make there in time. I might like get a game loss. I had my, you know, because of like this whole like bag thing, I had like my standard deck like, in my hands, um, my deck box. And I thought like, how dumb is that, Simon? You're just going to like place it somewhere and then leave it. And then you're going to come back and it's going to be stolen. Then you don't have a standard deck. And then I started playing out the scenario in my head where I come late to the round. I get a game loss. I realize my standard deck is stolen and I'm just going to drop and go home to the, the, the hotel and cry. Like, And this was like playing in my head 
as I'm hurrying like up the escalator to get to my match. And this is like not a very good like mental state to have before a match. So um, it's definitely like something I, 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 I'm a person to, who tends to fantasize a lot. And like that, you know, both plays out in like fantasizing about like how I might top eight an event, um, which makes it like, I guess, easier for me to imagine myself doing it or to actually do it because I've imagined it as something that's real. But then I also do it for like, you know, terrible outcomes, like, you know, of a lot of things going wrong at the same time and imagining how I would just like crumble under the pressure of like, you know, th those unfortunate mishaps. And so that's like what was going through my mind there um, as I come up to the table. And I do make it in time, um, like right as the clock starts, I'm like, I can see my table, which is like, you know, good enough that you don't get a game loss or anything. A good thing I didn't, because in game one, I have a, like, with my red, green, acrylic, I have a really like, I keep a hand that like doesn't have green mana, so it, but it has like a lot of payoff and I have like one of my red rares, which gets dealt with. And then I just like, you know, play like mountain for a while, not playing any spell until turn six, my opponent plays four fruition, which um, with the opponent at 20 life, and me having, you know, like, <laughs> like even when I drew that forest that turn, I could only play one spell a turn. Um, you're just like not, you know, beating the opponent when you, even though you get to draw seven cards a turn, because yeah, you do have to draw seven cards a turn. So um, I lost to the force fruition there, and I was like, wow, man, okay. But then like doing the sideboarding there, I was still focused on like, okay, I mean, it would be really good to win this match because that highly increases the chances that I get to play my standard deck for four more rounds on day two. And so that was what's in my mind. I love my standard deck. I just wanted to play it more. And again, I kind of like try to like use that that love of the game to like propel me forward. Um, and I ended up like you know doing some nice sideboarding changes and and like playing pretty crisply in games two and three to actually take that match. But that was like really close to like you know a a spot where like the, the Simon's bad mental state getting in the way of the of a top eight. But, but it turns out after that, you just keep winning and winning and winning until you are in the top eight again now of Worlds uh, and officially lock up player of the year, which is not yeah. maybe the goal that you would set for yourself, but that's a, that's a nice one to cross off the bucket list. Yeah, it was really funny because when they announced the player of the year, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I wonder what my chances are. And then I looked at how it would break out. And I was like, okay, well, that just is irrelevant. It's like whoever of these top five makes the bait is going to be the player of the year because like the way the points broke out. And I was like, okay, that I'm disinterested now. I mean, obviously, I technically could make top eight, but then, like, yeah, I made the top eight, and that's the high part, not the play of the year part necessarily. So um, I didn't really like think about it, right? Because yeah, it seemed like a weird goal to like try and set when it seemed very much out of my hands, like you know, other than like just trying to make top eight myself. And again, making top eight would be the goal anyway. So, um, so yeah, it's a it's, so it definitely felt like a nice bonus. But I I will say that like one, of course, it was within reach that changed like i got pretty like hungry for like you know potentially getting the title and i do love that like it was like you know between me and reed in the top eight i would have loved it was a final between the two of us that would have been very cool but uh yeah like seeing anthony uh my teammate like beat reed in the quarterfinals like which you know not only means that like he got to beat reed duke in the top eight of a, of a world championship like such a hard-working teammate um that i just like wish the best for like you know in accomplishing something incredible and also that meant that I was going to be the player of the year, which would mean yet another interview. And I do love doing interviews. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now that you are at the top of the game, uh, does your perspective on that level change? Because you, you were someone who you were playing the GPs, playing the PTs uh, for a long time. And now that we are back in the Paper Pro Tour and 
a lot of people have have stopped playing or they've fallen off and the the way that you get back on now is quite different as well does it seem like the nature of the competition has changed or is it more just there's a new generation coming through but it's going to take them some time to get to that like 2018 2019 simon level themselves yeah that's true it's definitely like you know is it's going to be fewer people who go through the simon experience sadly um but we are seeing like you know new names probably like a lot of the members of team handshake um like except for like basically me and javier um everyone else is like kind of like newish to the scene or like you know are these like up and coming names i mean obviously like nate is like no longer up and coming tangrams is like like all these people have like proved themselves now but like two years ago you would definitely put them as like oh these are the guys to like look out for um and so yeah i think um yeah, so I, I think that's like definitely a thing that that's that's coming, and of course we see like also a lot of like non-team handshake like names start to do well. I got like one name to like highlight is like Katsune Kusaka from like from mm. Japan who debated the uh, who debated well, like got to the finals of Worlds, beating me in the semis. Um, who was like seems like an absolutely incredible player from Japan, who was like not a known name like a few years back, um, and someone that I'll absolutely expect to get another top eight in the next couple of years. So, um, so like these things are like these things are still churning the way they were before. So like maybe like those things haven't really changed that much. And it's also still really hard to unseat the like, you know, grace of the game, like Javier and Reed and like, you know, these people who've been playing for a long time um, and the Thief and so on, right. You know, the, the names that just keep coming up. So it's like, I do think it's nice that we have like the old guard and, and the new guard still. I will say something like very interesting that I've like discovered, um, which is like, like because like i looked at like this list of like previous player of the years and like you know realizing also like you know i was like the most winningest player this year in magic like you know like, even compared to like people like you know reed duke and asif um who also had incredible years and i'm like you know at like in terms of like my accomplishments this year like i'm at the level of them and certainly in like some people's eyes they might see me as like a caliber player like you know in like obviously not in that rate, like the see like you not know, top five of all time, but at least like you know in something like comparable, at least like in, in like you know in um in in a range that like not that far from these other people, and it's weird to me because I still don't see that at all. Like I still you know like these people like these legends like Javier, even Nathan, um like who's very like recently become a legend. I still see these people as like someone who like are better than me as something to strive for, um and I had this like comparison um in my mind of like you know like when you're a child and you look at your parents and you're like wow these guys like they got everything under control they know what they're doing i can rely on them right um and then you yourself grow up and you become like you know 30 something around the age where like like you know like i i assume you like could relate to this as well dom like if, if like you or i had a kid right now like we would you know probably be able to like you know handle it but we would also be winging it a lot because that's just, mm. and it turns out that you see your like friends and like this age who are parents they are also like they are just also just winging it like there's you know 30 somethings they don't have everything figured out they have some things figured out they're definitely like doing a capable job but um like it's not you know it's, it's not like a smooth sailing like you know uh <laughs> everything in control type of situation and I feel like it's kind of the same thing with becoming a top level pro because um, I'm now this level where a lot of people look up to me and a lot of people like, you know, like they book me for coaching or like they, um, like, you know, compliment me on like how incredibly well I play. And I look at myself and I'm like, 
but I made a blunder right there and I made a blunder right there and I like, you know, missed this attack and like so on, right? I'm just, I'm still so focused on my mistakes. And then you realize that, oh, maybe that is what a, you know, top level player is. It's still just like fumbling through, not necessarily always knowing what's going on, but then still being able to handle themselves like well enough um, in like the spots that matter, I guess. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's like an interesting thing to see. The main part to say is like, like really good players also make a lot of mistakes. And this means that like I'm allowed to be a good player who also makes mistakes. I can still be considered a top level player. And like getting that like mental, you know, uh, yeah, getting that to like settle mentally is like been kind of a, a fun experience. I don't know if that like, you know, similarly like related to you. Uh, no, at all. It, it, it definitely resonates. And it's, uh, <laughs> It was reassuring when I made a pretty big punt, I think, at Worlds where I was kicking myself over just to go on Twitter and see a bunch of these like Hall of Famers and really elite players who are still in the tournament who were saying, yeah, I I just made some silly mistake and I'm, I'm playing really bad today and I've got to get my head back in the game and realizing that that is, that is just a universal experience and like the, the reason that magic is so fun and engaging still is because it's hard and like you're not perfect, you're going to mess up and ha- how you handle that is as big a part of being uh, a top player as anything else uh, is always reassuring to see. One of the most impressive things about watching not just Nate, of course, but also a bunch of these these Zoomers and these younger players mm. coming up is like, I wish I had that much uh, poise or thoughtfulness or skill at really anything, let alone magic when I was 20, you know, yeah, um, let alone uh, 10 years after that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I don't know how long any any one of them will be engaged with magic necessarily, but you can be confident they're going to go on to to bigger and better things. They feel like they have the right mindset for it. Yeah. Also, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like hanging out with Nate and like seeing, seeing like the way he like thinks about a game. Like you know, recently like you know with Talitzi, um, also like you know like one of the new young players like doing incredibly mm-hmm. well. And I just see the way that like just think about games, Like wow, these people are incredibly smart. I mean, yeah, like I can. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely like it's very bit humbling to like you know be in their presence even though it's also a weird thing where like there's also like but but i also have like a lot of experience that like nathan might not necessarily have in terms of like experience at the pro tour like because i played more than he has um where like maybe we can like you know help each other a bit out and that's exactly what we do because we're on a team together and we learn from each other um yeah i don't know it's just beautiful yeah, and on that note, I mean, we, we've talked about Team Eureka, uh, your sim with Mint card, and now uh, the rise and, and dominance of Handshake. Uh, what do you view your role on teams or those teams as being? And what, how have your thoughts changed about just what a team should look like in order to be more than the sum of their parts and to help each of their members uh, reach their own success? Yeah, I think um, I think something important is to... There's like a lot of like balances you need to strike. There's like the balance between like work and fun. Um, then it's like come because you need people to be motivated, um, but you also need it to be, um, yeah. But but you also need it to be like structured some way, and like you can't like you know, we each have like a lot of different thoughts and opinions in our own minds, and we need to like make that a collective mind to like really reap the benefit of us being multiple people working together, and they're like way to do that is communication and like doing communication well is like a very boring thing it's like you know doing a bunch of like writing something concise on discord and having meetings and like reading what other people are reading and going engaging in arguments and like all these things and it's like a very cumbersome process but it also leads to like you know we just all get smarter because of it because yeah i mean not every, like everyone has like pieces of the puzzle but not the full piece and then if we like you know combine we assemble it all and then the second thing is like having trust and that's like the really 
difficult thing because you can share information all you want, but if I have a conviction and you have a conviction and they're not matching, and I'm just going to think if, if I don't know how you got to your information, but I think the way I got to my information is sound, I'm just going to ignore what you're saying. Um, and I'm just using like, you know, words like I and you as like replacements for like, you know, two people on a team who might be like, um, just teammates who were like combined together, like, but haven't actually played that much together. And if like having, so it takes a while, like you also have to like play together for a while in order to like build up this respect. And like at this point, like if anything, anyone on the team that I've worked with worlds here, like if they had an opinion, I know they're very smart people. They're super capable. Like we also make sure that like our selection process for like people we put on the team is like very strict. And I've played with these guys for a while. Like I'm, you know, somewhat familiar with like how the brain works in like these regards and everything they have to say. It's like there has some merit to it. And if it doesn't align with like the way I see the world, there's some, there is something there and it could easily be that I'm wrong and they're right. Just as it could be the other thing. And it's very important that like we then try to like not argue to like, you know, win the, the argument to like figure out what that like you know dissonance actually is and get on the same level like we had this thing with like ball getting with tron where like ha- like we were laughing a lot at like the cancer how we were keeping and i think those jokes are important because that's the fun part of like the the, the fun slash work balance um but anthony also pointed out that like but this is also something to take serious because you know we javier means it's serious when he keeps this unplayably looking hands and and the rest of us mean it seriously. We think that that should be a ball again. And so both things can't be correct at the same time. And it can't just be described as like, oh, it's just a play style or something. Because at this level, like play style just isn't really a thing um, that should be taken into account that much. There's also just something that gives you more win rate and something that takes away win rate. And so we should try and like really just discover these things and discuss and figure out like what actually, like how, how do we um, come to the same level? And we end up building a Tron deck that matches much more the way Javier Mulligan's with Tron. Because the way Javier Mulligan's with Tron matches much more how you play when you have the One Ring. And so we kind of like discover these things um, where like, yeah, there's just like taking these like differences of opinion um, more seriously. And yeah, that, I think that like the trust is definitely like, the, the very big deal. And it's very hard to like create trust, but people you're familiar with and you respect and making sure that like everyone like respects each other is like just incredibly important um, to make work. Yeah, the, the Tron example is a great one. I know when you were on uh, Javier and Manguji's podcast, and, and Anthony's too, I'm not going to leave, leave him out there, but uh, <laughs> when uh, when Javier, uh, and I won't try and rephrase his point, I'll, I'll link this in the show notes, would highly recommend people go back and listen to that. But uh, when he was explaining how his approach to, to mulligans with the deck like really fundamentally differed from how you usually mulligan with Tron and, and have in the past and how that then plays into how the, how you build the deck with that in mind. I, I think it's rare once you reach a certain point to have these these moments which really shift how you view the game. But that was one of those for me. That was like, oh, wow, that's okay. I That is a really enlightening idea that I can hopefully use myself in the future. And like just, just learning that um, was, was a big level up moment, as, as people like to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been very like you know, rewarding to, to be working with these people who also think differently. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm also, um, the way we just like, I, I just like really like that we're like starting to come to something that I experienced at my very like first, like some of my very first pro tours on team Eureka, which was just highly organized. And like, it felt like, you know, we were 
not just like dilly dallying, but actually working towards something like as if it was a real job. And like you could actually like, you know, instead of having this like, you know, wait up pretend that like, you know, all these like hours you spend here, we're actually like doing work. And like it's, it's you know, like, um, and it's like creating something because you can also like, it, it's okay. So it's very easy to like, um, kind of like use that as an excuse to like, you, you know, play a bunch of an arena and that's like, you know, and, uh, and you're working towards something and you're like, that you're creating something and that like, you're getting something out of your life, but like, it doesn't really, you know, um, but then like, at the end of the day, like if you just played like a bunch of leagues, uh, like, if just like a bunch of like, you know, rank play, it's like maybe fun recreationally, but like, it's not. You know, which is like a good thing in a in and of itself. It's like a very valuable thing to have in your life, doing something recreationally. But it's not. But you also aren't doing work, um, and so having this thing where like it feels like we are actually creating something, and doing work and taking things seriously. Um, this like position we have is like you know one of the best teams and like trying to, um, yeah, it just like feels it it feels right. Like it feels. Um, they just like elevate the experience to more than just the game. And that's like really, really nice to me um, that I like, to get to have the experience. Yeah. As we start to wrap up here, and this is taking this in a more personal direction, if you're comfortable with that, but sure. uh, through what you've said here, it, it sounds like you, you've made a lot of like real, real true friends uh, through magic and not just yeah. magic friends of the sort where uh, you, you see each other at tournaments and uh, you, you're always happy to see them. You go for dinner, but you're, engagement with them is primarily through magic but people who you found a way to you form this bond with that really transcends that uh so you know through getting to know zen i feel like i've kind of got to know a little bit more about you just indirectly um mm, funny and yeah. it feels like there are a lot of examples of that so what do you think it is i mean you're, you're friendly to people but in terms of like capital f friends what has gone into like maintaining and, and nurturing those friendships for you i think um the important bit is also making sure that it's not just about the magic. Um, and so something that like we, for instance, do, uh, some of us in Team Handshake sometimes, is like like after Worlds, we went to see Zion National Park. Um, like Eli Loveman and Carl and I, and Mat- Matthew Quispo was supposed to come, but he unfortunately got sick. Um, but yeah, like, and we also like, you know, th- like those four people, we went to the Grand Canyon together uh, last year after Worlds. And so having like, and like these experiences are like, it also gives us a lot of opportunity to like talk about like things that aren't magic and like know each other at like that different level. And I went to visit Mati at some point um, in Finland, like where like it was not magic related. I just like you know wanted to see him, and in um, and the same thing with like Zen. You know, I went to like the the Edinburgh when he lived in Edinburgh. I went to like the the Fringe Festival uh, with him and like um, uh, and Eduardo Sashkari. Uh, and that was like, you know, another experience where we could like, you know, hang out together and like experience things that are not necessarily magic related. I went with like Matis to see a Taylor Tomlinson uh, show, uh, which is like a stand-up comedian that both of us like. Like that was in Vegas, like, you know, spending like, you know, three precious testing hours doing that. But that's also very valuable because it kind of like, you know, it just does like, because it really is like more than a game, not just in terms of like the work we put in, but also like the the like relationships we make and and like that whole lifestyle. I think it's like very valuable to like take that serious. Um, and also like you know, obviously like you can't have this level of bond with everyone, and you're not supposed to. But just like having a few friends that you're like going out of your way to like you know see on other occasions, um, or visit like before or after tournaments, or like you 
like like talking with about things that aren't just magic but also just catching up and being like you know like how's it going with, with your wife and like whatever it might be like you know these things where that you might um they just like taking this interest in like people's lives um yeah i think that that's like has been like a really big part of like the magic experience for me as well um and yeah i don't know it's like kind of a a, a funny question in a way like you know how, how do you make friends uh but yeah it's like <laughs> it's <laughs> important to know that like, friend, you know, it's, it's really something there because you definitely like know the magic friend where like you talk about you talk all the time but you just talk about magic um and like going from that level to someone that you can actually be vulnerable with um even though they're not something who's who are in close proximity with you that you maybe don't see as often that you would someone that you go to school with or whatever but um yeah like having like yeah just like having that in your life and having that in like your your like be part of like your tournament squad like that helps you so much with like the trust and the respect right is that like these are people who um you're very close to so yeah i don't know i think that's something i appreciate so much of the the magic community is also like yeah letting me find people who are also like you know weird and quirky which are like usually how i like my friends right because <laughs> like, that's how i am myself yeah, not asking you for the the one uh, big secret on how to make friends here. That, that's maybe beyond <laughs> our, our, our remit here. But I, I guess uh, finishing on that note then, what is the stuff outside of Magic uh, that you would want people to know about you, Simon, as a person then? Uh, the the stuff which, you know, the people who have grown to know and like you from watching the PTs, like what, what should they know about Simon Nielsen that they don't already? All right, there's uh, something like uh, I just signed up for, a, uh, for an improvisation course. Um, which is like, you know, very much a like, you know, embracing my, you know, uh, situation as like a white boy in the world um, to, doing improv. Uh, but it's actually like, um, I do love theater. Um, I've like, you know, like been studying a bit of theater in the past. Uh, and I especially like love doing like improv in like high school and so on. And I kind of like lost a bit of touch with it because I chose to focus on magic instead of like, the, the you know, theater and performance angle. And, um, and one way that I've like come to reconnect with it is that I've started doing, um, these like indie role-playing style things. So there's like, um, like a, a festival every, um, every like spring, uh, for a week where you just like can go and do like, um, and do role-playing. So there's both these like, you know, pen and paper role-playing as you might, you know, know, um, with like any like, system like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or whatever. Um, those are not the ones I'm interested in. I'm interested in the ones where it's like, uh okay so you're like you know a couple going on an ikea shopping but there's like all these like things you like can't quite say to each other and trying act out these like tensions in a relationship um which sounds like um or like you know you you are like you know like the whole group collectively plays the mind of a um of a hitman and how they're going through their like moral ambiguity with what they're doing um so this is like obviously like a very artsy thing uh but um, and it, it's basically like, you just like, you know, you just sign up for these plays, you get, get in a group with people you've never met them before. And you end up like playing, like creating this like little world with these people who are very, very, like feel very real and get to be very vulnerable with each other. Um, and it's all something that you have to like also improvise on the spot. Like, cause you usually like end up playing out these scenes. Um, and it's a way of doing like improvisation where it's not just like trying to be funny, but also like you're just, like tapping into something like very core human nature and like that yeah it's been like really fun for me but what i've noticed is that while i've been pretty good at like going on rants and imp- like improvising like you know like these like characters in like you know we- weird ways 
um, I've not been that good at like interacting with the other people in my group. Um, and like, you know, like playing the ball to them and like, you know, taking or like taking their ideas and like changing the, the way I see this like situation play out um, based on their input. And so the reason I signed up for this improv course is to just go back to basics and try and learn, okay, how do I actually do improv? Not just like, you know, making up an entire like monologue myself on the spot, but actually like working with what other people have in mind. So yeah, that's that's something that I'm I'm really excited to like explore during these next few months where uh, where magic is on the download. That that's that's awesome. Who who of the magic people you know do you think would be the most fun or most skilled to do improv with? Oh, that's funny. Uh, interesting. Well, I think definitely like Jesse Rubkin like has you know a background in in like theater, so that 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 would probably be uh, be one. I also um. I don't know. I, I have a feeling that like someone like Autumn would probably also be really fun to do that with. So, yeah. Yeah, there, there are a lot of people who I think it, I don't know if they would be good, but it would be fun to put them in that setting and just see what more yeah, they would that, come that, up that with. Too. For sure. You know, yeah. like you're putting Javier in a spot like this. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> also, Anthony is like, very, oh, yeah. very would be very talented at that. Like that would also be a fun person to do it with. Oh, I bet. Well, on that, that happy note, Simon, thank you so much for coming in today. Where can people find everything you're doing? I, I always recommend your YouTube channel where I, a, lot, a bunch of your uh, your breakdowns of your games and some of these online tournaments are, I think, still some of the best content out there for people looking to figure out how that kind of uh, tactical in-game thinking works. But uh, So hopefully there's more uh, coming there before long. Where, where else can people be be following you and finding what you're doing? Yeah, it's a it's kind of interesting because like you know we like because like with the the, the team aspect of this like I can't I, I can't share as many like uh, things I wanted to. I recorded some uh, some like testing videos from um, from like the modern pro tour, but then I realized that some of my opponents were like it, they had their like um, secret account names, and so I can't actually publish these videos because I'm hurting my teammates. Or like if I you know go in depth on like any. Um, like anything on, on how to play a deck that we've worked on well we also like giving away team secrets that because it's not just my collab. so it's like it's interesting to like try and like do youtube content in in, in this environment um but regardless if you want to get in like a look inside my mind i do coaching on metafy.gg um where you can find me there um and like that's definitely like you know one way to like uh get a little bit more input on these things i do have a youtube channel just like called simon nielsen um you can also find me on twitter at mr checklist card mr checklist card um and yeah i guess i technically also have a twitch channel but yeah it's been a while since i've streamed and i probably won't stream uh anytime soon sadly well, we we all are, are sad to hear that, but uh, still a lot of uh, Simon to be following, uh, especially over the next year of Magic. Uh, and uh, once you win, play with you again, uh, you have to come back in here as a follow-up, okay? All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Th- thanks again so much for joining us, Simon. Thank you. So that was Simon Nielsen for you. It was a real treat to get to talk to him in such detail today. Uh, a very easy person both to talk to and to listen to. And that's good because I suspect you'll be hearing many more interviews with him uh, on the Pro Tour stage and uh, off it uh, for many years to come. I may be back next week with some highly irregular programming before Ari makes his uh, official triumphant return. But uh, in the meantime, you can be hearing more from me over on Twitter at Dom and Javier. You can be hearing from Ari at ARMLX. Uh, you can find the podcast there. Uh, get all the uh, latest news and updates on new episodes over at twitter.com slash dominaria underscore pod. You can find us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash dominaria's underscore judgment. And you can find us and many other people engaging in our own highly improvisational 
all nonsense over in the Discord. So the link to all of that is in the show notes, along with all of the various uh, great content that Simon has put out uh, that we mentioned in the course of our conversation today. You'll hear more from Simon soon and more from us soon as well. But until then, take care, everyone.